Uh, Open your Bibles and your copy of the Bible. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. James chapter 1. You can also use the Bible in the seat back in front of you uh, and join us. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18 today in James chapter 1. As you're turning there, I wonder if uh, any of you have ever been scammed before. Have you ever fallen for a scam? It's okay, you can admit it. This is a safe place. You know, today in our technologically advanced world, it's really easy to, uh, to be scammed. Now, some scams are really easy to spot, right? The, the person who claims to be from Nigeria and, you know, they want to send you a gift. All you need to do is send, you their bank, send them your bank account, right? Don't fall for that one. Or how about this one? Some of you have gotten this from someone claiming to be Pastor Nate, Yeah, some of you have gotten this, claiming to be Pastor Nate, and uh, you just need to buy me a gift card and uh, send it to them as quickly as possible. Don't fall for that. I will never ask you to buy me a gift card, okay? Just a little PSA there. Some of these are really obvious. We don't fall for them. Some of them are really deceptive. Some of them are really sneaky. I was talking to some people after the first service who was telling me some wild scams that they've gotten caught up in. Can I, is this safe for me to admit I've been scammed before? I've been scammed recently. I've been scammed during sabbatical. So how this happened, just to tell you, uh, just is a safe place. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm on, online and I get an ad for a pair of sunglasses, particularly a pair of sunglasses I had searched for before. Hmm, imagine that. And the ad, so the ad shows up and they're 50% off. It's like, this is awesome. So I click on the link, and it even had a little certified, you know, website logo down there. And so I find the pair of sunglasses, put in my credit card information, buy them, don't even think of anything, right? Get a confirmation email. But what was a little off is a confirmation email came from a different email than the name of the company. I was like, hmm, this is odd. So I took the confirmation number, the order number, and I searched it in the website. Guess what? No confirmation number to be found. I started to say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I think I've been scammed. I'm looking for a phone number to call, no phone number, no contact. It's like, oh, great. Well, guess what? The the sunglasses actually did come to my door. I opened up the package. It had the authentic case. It had, as I opened it up, it had the authentic little wipe. The problem is it didn't have the authentic glasses. Instead, there were these janky little plastic $5 ones that you get at the gas station, glasses. I had been duped. It's not such a good feeling to get deceived. As I reflect back on that, one of the things that I come to realize is that it got me at a time when my discernment was down. And it was, my discernment was down because, well, one, I was on sabbatical, so... You know, I wasn't quite as primed, you know, for, in that moment. Uh, it also got me because I, wa- I was in a place of impulsivity. I wanted the sunglasses. And because I'm really cheap, I wanted a good deal on the sunglasses. It got me at a time when I lacked discernment. And isn't this just how it works spiritually when it comes to temptation in our lives? Isn't it just seem, hasn't there been times in your life where, you know, you fall for a scam, a deception of temptation, you fall into sin, and then you reflect back on it and you say, man, I cannot believe I fell for that. I feel so ashamed that I got duped by that. What in the world 
was I thinking? I should have seen it coming. The problem is, a lot of times, our discernment level is down. We weren't ready. We didn't see it. We weren't aware of what was happening in us until we were trapped in it. Some of us, this describes times in our lives where, where there's temptations we fall into. We said we should have known. Others have, their, your discernment is so down, you might be in a sin and not even know you are in it, even though it's eating you for lunch. Some of us, we know we are in sin, but if we're honest with ourselves, we feel like we, we are so entrenched in it, we just don't know how to get out, get out of it. And we wonder, is there any hope for me? The good news is today, friends, is that through studying James, there is hope. We're going to see three ways to sort of level up our discernment so that we can fight temptation when it shows up unwanted or maybe not unrecognized on our doorstep, okay? So that's where we're gonna go. Three ways to discern or three ways to level up our discernment to be able to fight temptation. Here's, actually, before we get to the first one, let me just uh, remind us of where we are in the series. Uh, The letter of James was written by the younger brother, half-brother of Jesus. It is one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. It will tell you, and what James' purpose is, is to take this gospel, this faith that we claim, and say, how does this work in real life, in IRL, as it were? How does it work in our relationships? How does it work in our finances? How does it work in our our workplace? How does it work in our speech? How does it work in our lives? In the first 12 verses of chapter 1, James is addressing How do we grow through the testing of our trials? Now he's going to address how we fight the battles of temptation. So here's the first way to discern, to level up so that we might fight temptation. The first is to discern the cause of temptation, to discern the cause of our temptation. Look at verse 13. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Now, interestingly, the same word translated testing in verse 12 is the very same word translated tempting in verse 13. Same, very same Greek word. See, what James is saying is that while testing through external circumstances can come from the hand of God and be used for our good, right? There is an inner temptation that comes from our desires that is designed for our evil. And he wants to make a distinction between, between these two things. And you can see how this section is interrelated with the first 12 verses. Because someone might say, well, hey, if trials and tests come from God and they're, you know, they're from his hand, well, then so are my temptations. And therefore, we shift the responsibility to God, right? Ah, but James says, not so fast. You can't do that. That's a deception. The temptation to blame is deeply rooted in the human condition, isn't it? The desire to point a finger at someone else and shirk responsibility is very much in our spiritual DNA, 
I mean, it goes all the way back to the first story, the first people in the garden. Remember the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. They fell, they're tricked, they're fallen into temptation and sin. And God comes to them. And what does Adam do? Adam says, well, well the, the woman that you gave to me gave me the apple and I ate it, right? And what did Eve say? Do you remember what Eve said? Eve said, well, the snake... That you, gave, that you put in this garden, right? The snake that you put in here is what caused me to sin. And of course, a snake didn't have a leg to stand on. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to. I really didn't want to do that. I had to, I was tempted to do it and I fell into it. I'm so sorry. But you see the point. We all want to point the finger. Isn't this one of the first things you have to teach your children? and correct in your children when they're growing up. Remember, if you, if you have kids, maybe one of them uh, hits the other one, and you say, why did you do that to your brother or sister? And they say, well, because, because he was making a face at me, because she was being mean to me, because they took my toy, right? Never once growing up do I remember when our kids were little, did my kids say, you know, Dad, as I'm reflecting on this more deeply... <laughs> I realized the reason I did that is because I really wanted to, these desires in my heart, and I'm taking full accountability for my actions. Never once did that happen. It's always correcting them. No, you have to take responsibility for what you did, right? So we all do that. Now, as you grow up, you just have more sophisticated, sneaky ways of doing it. But we all want to point the finger at someone else. Sometimes it's horizontal, but a lot of times it's a vertical finger. It's up to God. We... We blame God for the things in my life. We might say something like, well, God is the one who made me this way, so it must be okay. God gave me this weakness, so I'm not to blame for indulging in it. God put me in this situation. I didn't have a choice. God allowed these bad things to happen to me, so, you know, I, I, I can't be blamed for my actions, right? Right? Once a woman who, um, I believe she wanted to meet with me to get approval for a relationship she was in. By the way, she doesn't go here any, anymore, uh, maybe because of this conversation, I don't know. But she was, uh, she was dating a married man who was cheating on his wife behind her back. But she was totally convinced that they were supposed to be together because she said, God caused us to meet each other, so therefore it must be his will. Do you see how sneaky it is? We can blame God and justify all kinds of things. This is deception. The truth is, God is incapable of being tempted himself, therefore, how could he ever tempt somebody else to sin? He is absolutely pure. This is not the God that we have. Now, let's be clear on something. Temptation is not sin. There is a distinction between. You, you didn't, don't be guilty and beat yourself up all the time. Oh, my goodness, I'm being tempted. No, no, no. That is a normal part of the human condition. In fact, you know that Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus himself was tempted in every way and yet remained without sin. Jesus knows the experience of temptation. 
And yet he cut it off at its root so it didn't gain a a foothold, causing him to stumble into sin. See, sin comes in when we act on that temptation, not when we experience the desire. So James tells us there's only one cause for your sin. And friends, the cause of your sin is not God. The cause of your sin is not your parents. The cause of your sin is not your ex-wife or your ex-husband. The cause of your sin is not your boss. The cause of your sin isn't even the devil himself. Friends, the cause of your sin is you and me and us. We are responsible. Now, I know this is really controversial in the day in which we're living in in a culture that is wrestling through the sort of the opposite poles of personal responsibility and we might say systemic or corporate responsibility. This is being hotly debated in the world in which we live right now. Well, it's the government's fault or it's it's society's fault or it's the majority culture's fault or it's this institution's fault or whatever it is to blame. It's law enforcement's fault, whatever it might be. Now, this isn't to say that there's not systemic responsibility there is there are we should work to the improvement of our structures and our societies and our institutions in fact as christians we are called to that work to bring flourishing human flourishing to fairness uh, equality equal opportunity as much as we can into our structures however however that is not in opposite or in opposition to personal responsibility. What I'm saying is that whenever we remove personal responsibility from the equation, when we remove personal responsibility uh, for our behavior, for our actions, we also remove with it human dignity. Because, friends, people who don't have choice are called slaves. People who don't have choice are called machines. Animals just acting out on our, based on our DNA. Friends, don't dehumanize yourself. Don't allow other people to be dehumanized by removing human responsibility. Now, you may be predisposed toward, uh, by your conditions, but you still have a choice. You might have grown up in a home of abuse, and you might be more predispositioned to abuse, but you have a choice of how you treat other people. Don't ever let someone put you in a perpetual state of victimhood and dehumanization. When we promote the dignity of personal responsibility for actions, for our own weaknesses and our temptation, it is only then that we begin to grow and make progress. James is saying, friends, do not blame God. Don't blame other people. Listen, your temptation is sin. It comes from inside of you. Take responsibility. This is the first thing we need to discern. Here's the second thing James says we need to discern. We need to discern the destruction or maybe the destructive pathway of temptation. James wants us to be discerning about three ways of how sin leads us to destruction and destroys in our life. The first one, as he says, is that sin replaces our love for God. He uses an interesting phrase, uh, evil desires, how it's translated, or maybe lust in your scriptures. But the word is actually a Greek word. This isn't a very good translation of it. The Greek word is uh, over-desires, epithumia. Epi, over, thumia, desire, over-desires. And what this word, is a really rich theological word, it means is a, a desire, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, 
It's a desire that becomes an ultimate desire. It could be a good desire that becomes an ultimate desire, an over-desire. And whenever, that, whenever we do that, we replace the thing that ought to be, the one that ought to be ultimate in our life, God. It replaces our love for God. It diminishes our love for God. Tim Keller once said about over-desires, not that we want bad things, it's that we want things so badly. That's an over-desire. In a, imagine you're in a romantic relationship and it's a, it's a, even if it's a good relationship, but if it turns into an ultimate relationship, an ultimate desire, what it does is it, it causes us to want that relationship, to need that relationship so badly it obscures our love for God. God goes in the back seat and we are in fact even willing to sin in order to have that relationship. See, this is why sin isn't just breaking the rules It is spiritual adultery. It's cheating on the ultimate lover of our souls, God himself. It's wanting something more than we want God in order to have something that only God can ultimately fulfill, whether it's meaning or love or success or happiness, right? So sin leads us to replace our love for God in our life. Sin also destroys because it turns us into prey. Listen to the language here in James 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. This language he's describing is the language of a hunt. Have you noticed some predatory animals uh, have certain things, ways that they allure uh, creatures? prey into their trap. Some will use scent or smells or colors or things that look like food, all kinds of things to lure it into his trap and then boom, got it, right? One of my all-time favorite creatures, predatory creatures, is the Portuguese man of war. Anybody ever see a Portuguese man of war? I'll show you a picture of that. There's a Portuguese man of war. Uh, I, dis- I sort of discovered this creature uh, thankfully not in the ocean, but on a, uh, a Planet Earth episode. You ever watch Planet Earth? with David Attenborough. And David Attenborough goes, the Portuguese man of war. That's my best attempt. And he describes this Portuguese man of war. And this, this thing uses these tentacles that look like kelp to draw in undiscerning fish. And so the fish will come in, they'll try to give a nibble, and just like that, they're paralyzed. And it begins to suck the fish up into its body until it liquefies it. That is pretty awesome <laughs> and freaky at the same time. This is the Portuguese man of war. And it's almost to a T how temptation gets us. It lures us. It puts on a beautiful picture of itself a picture of fun, of happiness, of escape, of numbing, of of power, of fulfillment. I mean, you fill in the blank with whatever you are tempted by. We're all tempted by different kinds of things. Whether it's drinking or lying or pride or gluttony or whatever it might be, and it looks like it's something that you want and will satisfy. And as you try to grab hold of it, it grabs a hold of you and drags you down and up into itself. See, friends, this is, why, this is why we should never be intimidated when you hear skeptics of Christianity say Christianity is just 
It's a moral straitjacket. Like God is just a big fun strangler. Everywhere he finds fun, he just tries to, you know, get rid of it. Don't, don't get intimidated by that. Do you hear what James is saying? God's not trying to rip you off in life. God's not trying to keep you from fun. What he's trying to do is save your life. He's trying to make sure that, that the things that you think you want aren't going to enslave you and ensnare you and rip you off. See, he's not trying to keep you from life. He's trying to give you life. This is why he's protective of us. This is why he's protective about certain moral issues. See, this is why Christianity isn't only true, but it actually works in real life. This is what God's trying to do. So sin tries to make us its prey, but also thirdly, James is gonna show us that sin always reproduces stronger. Always reproduces stronger. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a reproduction, parents to children to grandparents. You know, sin has grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I've heard people describe sin as trying to get it out of my system. You ever use that phrase or hear that? Oh, I need to rage on someone just to get this anger out of my system. Oh, I need to act on my lust to get it out of my system. Friends, that is a lie from the very pit of hell. You're not getting it out of your system. In fact, what you're doing is just reproducing more of the same in your life. And you don't just reproduce a little more. It's like plucking a gray hair. I'm at the age where I start to get gray hairs. And when you pluck one, it comes back thicker and it brings three friends. <laughs> That's how it works. This is how sin works in our lives. See, a little white lie might seem innocent. What's the big deal? But when you do it, you begin to nurture it. You begin to reproduce it. You begin to create a habit. Neurologists tell us that when we make habits, whether good or bad habits, they create these like neurological superhighways in our brain so that it gets easier and easier to do it. And in fact, you need more and more of it to get you that buzz. See, science is just now catching up with what scripture has been saying for thousands of years about how sin works, how habits work. So that lie, that little white lie, when indulged, has the power to destroy your life because eventually, if unchecked, that you will lie about something that will cause you to lose your job. You might lie about something that will cause you to lose your marriage or your friendships or your relationships. You see? Like what the 19th century pastor, J.C. Ryle, once wrote when he was writing to young men. He said, habits like trees are strengthened by age. A boy might be able to bend an oak when it is a sapling, 100 men cannot root it up when it is full grown. We just had two big 100 plus foot trees taken out of our backyard, removed. And let me tell you, there was no way I could do that myself. It, a, a, tra- a crane, a giant crane came, chainsaws, a big thing to grind out the stump. I mean, it was an incredible production there at our house. Powerful. Those trees are powerful, and it takes a village to remove them from your yard. Friends, this is how sin can work in our lives. I want you to just take a moment and take inventory in your life. Is there a sapling 
of sin in your life that as you look through the corridor of time will become a giant 100-foot oak tree. So something you're indulging in and you think it's not a big deal, as you look through the corridor of time will become an oak tree. Deal with this now. Don't wait, James says. Be discerning. See where it's leading you. They say, well, Nate, well, here's the deal. I, I have some saplings, but if I'm honest with myself, I have an oak tree or two in my life. I have an area of my life that I've cultivated over and over. I have ignored and it is a powerful tree of habit in my life, a besetting sin and addiction in my life. And I don't know what to do with it. Nate, are you saying that there's no hope for me? Oh, friend, there's always hope when you know Jesus. There's always hope when you go to the Lord because what is impossible for man is possible with God. James isn't done yet. He's going to give us a third way to discern, a way to level up our discernment. Number three, discern God's provisions to fight temptation. God's provisions to fight temptation. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He says, don't be deceived. I think what he's talking about here is don't think that you're just trapped in it. Don't be deceived in forgetting who God is. I hear a lot of Christians who will just say, well, you know, about their sin and their habits, well, this is just who I am. I've tried to fight it. I, you know, I just, this is just who I am. I've kind of accepted this about myself now. No, friend, that's a deception because as Christians, we can never say that, that, that we're just, that's who we are because of who God is for us. See, not only does God never tempt us, but God gives heavenly gifts. He provides powerful gifts from heaven that descend upon us to help us fight temptation. His provisions are aren't like shifting shadows where we think we have them and then we don't have anything in our hands. They're constant. They're dependable. They're right when we need them. You say, well, what provisions, what powerful provisions has God given us? Oh, friends, well, there's lots of them, but I'm just gonna share six of them with you quickly. You said, did you just say six of them quickly? Nate, you don't do anything quickly. How are you gonna share six? I'm gonna do my best, okay? Write these down, go back, look up these verses because I think it's really powerful, okay? Six provisions, six gifts that God gives us. First, he gives us the provision of new birth. Listen to what James continues to say. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. James is describing what happens when we come to faith in Jesus. We are born, as it were, again. We have a new life and we're given a new nature, a nature that can say no to sin. In fact, a new nature that desires to say no to temptation and sin in us. This is the new birth that we're given through the word of truth. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his burial and his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin. When we accept that, we are given a new nature that allows us to say no to sin. This is the provision of the new birth. Secondly, how about the provision of escape, 
Oh, one of my favorite fighter, fighter verses that I, that I keep in, and memorize in my mind is 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says this, there is no temptation except that, that which is common to man and God is faithful and he will not let you to be tempted beyond what you are able to, to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape so that you can endure it. See, in other words, he's saying at, when you're a Christian, you're never put in a corner. There's no such thing as being put in a corner by temptation as a Christian. Where you say, I, well, I can't do anything. There's always a trap door. There's always an escape hatch. There's always a rope that you can climb. Because God provides powerful tools so that you can say no, even in the thick of it. Even in the trenches when the battle is hot. So don't give in. How about the provision of divine wisdom? Scripture tells us that Paul says we've been given both the word of God and the spirit of God, if you know him, okay, to be able to discern truth from the scriptures so that it gives us what Paul calls the mind of Christ. What a powerful concept. We can access the mind of Christ through the word of God and the spirit of God at work. So we can discern and say, no, 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 that's a trap. That's a deception. That's a scam. I'm not going to fall for it. How about the provision of the Holy Spirit? We are given the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When we come to know him, he dwells in our lives. And, he, and when we yield to his power, when we yield to his truth, we can say no to temptation. How about what uh, Paul says in Galatians 5, 16? So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit will fight your battles with you. How about the provision, number five, of a praying community? At the end of James, in James 5, in verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, that is someone who's made right by Jesus, is powerful and effective. Man, this is so powerful, so important that you have a couple of brothers or sisters or six or seven men or women that are in your life that you trust to be able to pray for you, that you can confess, you know what, I was tempted this week. Hey, you know what, I fell into this sin this week. Hey, I'm battling this stronghold or this addiction in my life. I need you to pray. When we name it, it begins to lose its power, but we got to do it out loud and we got to do it to a group of other people. And when we do that power, like a, like a tumor with, you know, when, when uh, radiation hits, it begins to shrink. And that's what happens. That's what happens with the power of sin in our lives. Do you have people praying for you, holding you accountable? That's the provision of a new community. How about finally the provision of a new love? A new love. The Scottish preacher from the 19th century Thomas Chalmers in his most well-known sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Man, I need to get better sermon names. How about that one? The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. What does he mean by that? Here's what he says. The only way to break hold of an object on a human soul is to show it an object of surpassing beauty. The only way to break the hold of an object on a human soul is to show it, to reveal, to put in its face an object of surpassing beauty. What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
I think this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And this life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul saying? I don't have, you know what? This world and its temptations has nothing for me anymore. Why? Because I've seen a new love. I have a new love. Jesus Christ who died for me, who loves me unconditionally, his beauty, his affection, his love towards me is better than anything I'm ever gonna get in this life. So I wanna live my life for that. That's the power, the expulsive power of a new affection. It's the power of a new love that can change us from the inside out. Don't you want more of that? Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want to be to know that you are so loved unconditionally that even when you do sin, you have one that forgives you, who picks you up, who dusts you off, says, it's okay, let's keep walking together. Unconditional love. That's what our soul longs for. And friends, it sounds like it's too, too good to be true, but friends, it is true. You have that one. His name is Jesus Christ who proved it by going to the cross for you and me. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me want to continue sinning. What that makes me want to do is is say, I want to please you, God, because of who you are. I want to live for you, right? Friends, one of the reasons I'm so convinced of these powerful, powerful provisions to help fight temptation is because I'm living proof that this is what God can do in our lives. Some of you have heard me share my story, but I'll share pieces of it again. You know, when I was a teenager, I had a sapling of sin and temptation in my life of pornography that turned into a full-grown oak tree in my early 20s. And I didn't think I would ever be able to conquer it. It had such a hold on me and my life. I came to Christ, and when I came to Christ, this new nature inside of me began to cause me to hate that sin and really desire to fight it. And I began to share with a praying community in my life about this. I began getting honest, and they began holding me accountable to that. I began naming that, and it began to lose some of its power. I began to discover in his word and get the wisdom, the mind of Christ from his word, and get fighter verses to be able to fight when I'm in the midst of that temptation. But I'll tell you, the number one thing that helped me to root out that oak tree it was the, this new love that God had poured into my heart. Because I, I no longer loved my sin like I once did. I had a new love who began to loosen my grip on that. A, a new love where a life of purity became for me an act of worship, like a way to worship God by giving him my sexual purity. That's the expulsive power of a new love in your life. Well, that, what once was an oak tree got rooted up and grinded out by the beauty of Jesus Christ. Friends, it works. It's wor- it works. Discern, friends, discern in your life. Know that sin wants to have you blame someone else. We need to hold ourselves accountable and take responsibility for that. Know, friends, that 
Temptation wants to drag you into places you never thought you would go and you never thought you'd be in a place of death. And no, friends, you can fight this, not in your own strength, but because of the provisions of God in your life. 